Okay, I'm going to call this meeting to order for the Planning Commission hearing February 20th, 2024. The roll call, please. Afternoon. Uh, Commissioner Kelly. Here. Commissioner Hernandez. Here. Commissioner Moore. Here. Commissioner Nielsen. Commissioner Zeiss. Here. And Chair Crawford. Here. Okay, please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, announcements by the chair. I have only one. I was reminded that uh, everyone needs to get really close to these microphones when you're speaking, because otherwise it doesn't get caught in the mic in the uh, recording. It makes it harder for them to transcribe later. Uh, so just a reminder there. Next item is open forum. Um, do we have any speakers under open forum? I don't have any speaker cards. Is there anyone online that wants to speak under open forum? Um, <clears throat> uh, we have no speakers in the attendees. Okay, so can we get the list of attendees on the screen here instead of panelists so we know who's attending our meeting? That'd be great. Field trip report. We don't have those anymore. Uh, committee reports. Um, I don't believe there's any committee reports. Approval of the minutes for February 5th, 2024. Are there any changes proposed to the minutes or is there a motion to approve? I'll move to approve the minutes. Second. Motion is moved and seconded. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? Motion carries. There are no items on the consent calendar. Moving on to the regular calendar. Item one, nomination of Lake Chabot Nike Missile Base to the Alameda County Register of Historic Resources as a historic district. Planning staff is Liz McGilligan. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Liz McGilligan from the County Planning Department. Uh, I staff the uh, County Parks, Recreation, and Historical Commission. So I'm here today to talk to you about a, uh, a proposed nomination for the uh, the Lake Chabot Nike Missile Base to the Historic Register as uh, a historic district. Um, I, I, this is the first time this type of item has come before you. So I wanted to start by giving you a, a brief um, summary of the uh, Historic Preservation Ordinance, um, just so you um, have some background as to why, why I'm here talking to you today. Uh, the 
The Historic Preservation Ordinance uh, is located in County Government Code Chapter 17.62. Uh, the Board of Supervisors approved the HPO in January of 2012 at the recommendation of the Parks, Recreation, and Historical Commission. And, and this was after um, the commission worked on the ordinance for, for many years. Uh, the HPO established, among other things, the Alameda County Register of Historic Resources. Section 17.62.050 through 17.62.140 um, <clears throat> include criteria and procedures for placement of properties on the register. Uh, just very briefly, um, there is a section that contains criteria and uh, requirements for four designation ca categories for placement on the register. The highest level of designation is a landmark. Uh, the, the next one is a historic preservation district. Uh, and this would apply to uh, an area um, that would presumably include several buildings instead of, uh, as opposed to just one single building. There's also a designation for contributing resource to a historic preservation district, and that would be a, a building that's of historical significance and therefore contributes to the overall historical significance of the, the whole district. <clears throat> and then there's a structure of merit designation for um, for buildings who that, that do not have the, the higher level of historic um, significance but are still worth um, noting. Uh, there's a section that authorizes the Board of Supervisors, the uh, Parks Recreation Historical Commission, or the owner of a property to nominate a resource, <coughs> excuse me, for placement on the register. Uh, the PRHC is required to hold a public hearing uh, according to criteria in the ordinance uh, for consideration of placement of a resource on the register. And the reason we're here today is um, that there is also a section in the ordinance that requires notification of the Planning Commission in the event of a nomination of a historic preservation district. So for the, the other designations, um, your commission would not be uh, involved in the process, but because um, we're talking about a potential historic preservation district today. That's that's um, why we're we're here um, speaking with you today. Uh, and then placement of a property on the register must be approved by the board of supervisors. So that's uh, uh, later in the process. There are some uh, restrictions that are placed on properties that are uh, on the register. Uh, the ordinance establishes a process for review of any proposed relocation, demolition, or exterior changes to properties listed on the county register. Those have to be reviewed and approved by the uh, PRHC. Um, there is another section that outlines maintenance requirements for listed structures. That's to prevent the degradation of buildings over time if, if they're not properly maintained. Uh, a couple of the benefits of being listed on the register is that listed properties are treated as his historic resources for purposes of CEQA review. So 
um, there would be uh, additional review required for listed properties. And uh, listed properties are eligible to use the state historical building code. Uh, not going to read all of this to you, but this is the current county register as of July 2014. Um, the, the board uh, of supervisors voted to place these properties on the register um, at the recommendation of the Parks Recreation Historical Commission. Um, no additional properties have been added since then. Uh, you can see there are five landmarks and six structures of merit. Uh, we currently have no uh, historic districts. Today, we're only talking about the, uh, the Nike Missile Base, but there are actually three other properties that the PRHC has also nominated. Um, <clears throat> uh, and the, the, all four properties will go to the board at the same time. Um, and these are all county-owned properties. Uh, one of them is White Cotton Cottage on uh, Fairmont campus in Castro Valley. That's an old home that was originally uh, the residence of the administrator of the, the facility. Um, San Lorenzo Pioneer Cemetery on Hesperian in San Lorenzo and the old Castro Valley Library on Redwood Road in Castro Valley. So that's in addition to the, the Lake Chabot Nike missile site. Just a little background on the, the base. Um, the missile base was established in 1955 when the Army acquired the acreage through a lease with Alameda County. There were three functional areas, the integrated fi fire control area, a launch area, and an administrative area. Um, we are only talking about the integrated fire control area today. Um, that is the, the site, uh, the one of the three sites that are still owned by the county. Um, the other two sites, the launch area and the administrative area, are owned by East Bay Regional Park District and are part of Lake Chabot Regional Park. Uh, the, <clears throat> the integrated fire control area has remained vacant since the Army deactivated the base in 1974. This particular site contains five buildings, a guard station, a quarters building, a generator building, a corridor building with an attached radar storage shed, and a high-power acquisition radar building. In 2020, uh, the General Services Agency proposed the demolition of the quarters building and the radar storage shed due to their deteriorated condition, but has not requested uh, approval of the demolition by the board. As part of the, uh, the proposed demolition process, uh, uh, GSA released an initial study, mitigated negative declaration prepared by RINCON to identify potential environmental impacts of the proposed demolition. Uh, the uh, ISMND cited an October 2019 historic resources evaluation prepared by archeolo archeological and historical consultants which found that four of the five buildings at the site are contributing resources to, the, uh, to a California Register of Historic Resources eligible historic district. Because the site 
retains historic integrity and is significant under criteria one, um, which is, says that the resource is associated with events or patterns of events that have made a significant contribution to the broad patterns of local and regional history. Uh, the quarters building and the radar storage shed, which is attached to the corridor building, are not contributing resources to the, the pro proposed district. That was the finding of this historical evaluation. The uh, Parks, Recreation, and Historical Commission um, has taken uh, uh, several votes on this particular property in 2020. Um, they voted to oppose the proposed demolition of the buildings on the Nike site and to send a letter to GSA commenting on the, uh, the MND after conducting their own extensive research, the PRHC members concluded that all buildings on the site are relevant to the history of the site and the community should be, uh, history of the site and the community and should be retained. In 2022, they voted to uh, approve a resolution nominating the Nike site to the county register as a historic district in compliance with the uh, historic preservation ordinance. Uh, and then just uh, at their last meeting on February 1st, they reaffirmed its their previous vote to nominate the, uh, the base uh, to the uh, county register as a historic district. Uh, recent activity by uh, GSA include uh, hiring a consultant to prepare a feasibility study for the stabilization of three of the structures from deterioration and secure them from van vandalism. So um, they are not uh, contemplating uh, demolition at this time. The feasibility study will include programming and conceptual designs and a final report including cost estimates. Now this is hard to see, but um, this shows the, the location of the, the uh, missile base. Um, you can see it outlined in yellow in the, the center of the aerial photograph. Um, we have Fairmont Drive down here along the, the bottom. Uh, the access road is, oops, sorry. Um, coming off of Fairmont Drive, uh, coming up to the site, uh, and obviously you can see Lake Chabot um, to the east and Lake, Chab Lake Chabot Road uh, running here. Uh, this is a, an aerial showing the location of the buildings of the guard station down here by the entrance, the quarters building, generator building, corridor building, radar pads, and uh, the radar building. This is a, a photograph of one of the, the buildings, the quarter building uh, on the site, just to give you an idea of, of the appearance of, of the buildings. Uh, this is the corridor building and the attached radar storage shed. The staff recommendation for today, um, we ask that you provide comments on the PRHC's nomination of the Nike missile base 
uh, as a historic district. And also the nomination of the five buildings on the site um, as contributing resources. The tentative schedule for completion of this, um, the nominations through uh, approval by the board um, would be to go to the Board Transportation and Planning Committee meeting on March 4th, uh, Board of Supervisors for a first reading of uh, the ordinance to approve the nominations on March 14th, and then uh, returning to the board for a second reading uh, shortly thereafter. concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. Thank you, Liz. Commissioners, any questions for staff? Go ahead, Jeff. So how does the funding work? In other words, if it's adopted and it's a historical landmark and the requirements are that the county uh, now maintains it, to what level, I mean, does it automatically have to go through this process and it'll be found deficient? Or, I mean, just how does it get upgraded? And who, who pays for it? Uh, there would have to be um, uh, money identified by GSA to uh, maintain the property, I assume, since they're already going through the process of um, looking at the feasibility uh, of um, making improvements to the buildings or at least stopping the, the, um, the degradation of the buildings, that they, they have some uh, funding available. Um, so they, if they're list, if the area is listed on in the budget, um, the requirement would just be to um, have sort of minimal maintenance, uh, just to prevent the um, the loss of the buildings by their eventual um, um, you know, breaking down um, over time. So the assumption is that, that there would be money identified by GSA to uh, at least keep the building standing. Uh, it, the uh, PRHC members have expressed interest in perhaps eventually having some kind of um, uh, interpretive uh, center at the on the property or something like that. So there would have to be some research done to identify funding sources for for that. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for the thorough presentation. I do have a couple questions. Just out of curiosity, why is it almost two years? There seems like a quite a delay between their first. I'm just curious if there was a reason for that. It's just been a, a lack of staff capacity. It's fine. I didn't know if there was some controversy. Um, that's certainly not an urgent matter. Um, are these buildings at all accessible to the public? Do people go there? It seems no, not currently. Okay. Uh, I my understanding is that there are some telecommunication towers that are um, used by various entities, um, but it, it's not a, a site that's uh people can drive to and, and look at the parks district approached or asked if they would want the parcel since they have the rest of it uh, not to my knowledge okay 
Um, and then, um, you know, this is not really a criticism. It's the packet's correct. In the future, when there's buildings, we're also trying to designate some value of not just a district. I would appreciate if there were images of the buildings. It's hard to assess the historical or architectural merit of something we can't see. Um, although I'm sure others have looked and are making a recommendation and ours is just to review that recommendation. Uh, but I would ask, what's the current zoning for this property on the housing element? Uh, it, it is not a, a, a housing site. It's outside the... Yeah, it, it's actually, it's up on top of a hill um, surrounded by park district land. And then there's that, just the small uh, entry road. Um, okay. So it, it would not be suitable for a building. Okay. Yeah. Um, then my last question is, is this an attractive nuisance? Are we at all concerned about, it seems like it's in very poor condition and it seems like the intention is to maintain a very poor condition. Um, is it is there a safety issue or a liability concern in the district? Uh, I, I, in documents I've seen from uh, GSA, there there have been some concerns about the the safety of of the buildings and you know people going in the buildings given the the deteriorated state. Um, so I think there are safety issues. Um, there have also been um, references to vandalism. So I wasn't sure if the reference to vandalism in particular included kind of mitigation in the future to prevent access. Um, well, I, I think the the intent of the PRHC, or at least the the hope um, would be that the the property would be um, improved to the point where at someday in the future the the public could be allowed on the property, and I, I assume there would have to be um, appropriate um, security. Okay, and then the last thing was that you may you probably know you're so on it with this stuff. Is this a binding determination by us? I mean, it's owned by the GSA is the federal it's federal I would it, no that, that's the county general services agency oh thank you okay. yeah so sorry was, for not making oh, that's that clear fine. I was very curious how we had this power <laughs> so <laughs> I thought we had found a loophole or some <laughs> such um, joy but that makes sense so if there's not any other concerns I mean I think that um, it's to me personally I feel like it's the job of the historical preservation commission to determine things that should be historically preserved. It's just our job or my job to kick the tires. So I don't really have any other questions other than it, I guess it's the first, it seems like it's the first step to preserve it so then people can decide what they want to do with it. I kind of would prefer knowing what they wanted to do with it versus just preserving it, but it doesn't seem like preservation is problematic here. So those are my questions. Thank you. Any other commissioner questions? Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, no, I agree with. Um... Vice Chair Kelly, that pictures would have been helpful in the package, but the presentation was very thorough um, to better assess the historical district. I just wonder in terms of field trips, is that something that will be resumed? As I understand, I believe it was put on hold temporarily because of COVID. I just feel like maybe a, a field trip to the historical 
district would have been helpful to assess there? In, in general, um, we are, <clears throat> we can do um, field trips. It's not like there's, um, that we technically can't do it. There was some concern initially because now we're hybrid that whatever we do out in the field, we'd have to make available to the general public. So there is some uh, logistical challenges, but uh, we can do field trips um, on any one of our projects. We used to have them on a regular basis pretty much for all of our projects. Um, and th that did go away during COVID. I think we did one field trip during COVID where we had a we had a little iPad that we went around that was casting to Zoom. Um, so uh, as long as we can figure out um, and get around some of the logistical things, we can certainly do that for future projects. I want to echo some of the, the comments before or, or re-evaluate them. If we go along with this, is this going to create more of a monetary it doesn't sound like there's any funds really set up or designated for this. So with our approval of this, is that automatically going to create a draw for somebody to repair these and bring them up to code or to safety standards? Uh, uh, approval of a district doesn't automatically bring funding along with it. Um, the, the next step uh, after consulting with your commission would be going to the board of supervisors and and so the board would would get the the last say and um, whether it becomes a historic district and I assume that if they um, approve it as a district that they would um, also be um, agreeable to um, allocating money to uh, improving the buildings nobody knows what that cost could be the, way well, the, the feasibility study that gsa is currently preparing will provide costs for um, improving the buildings stated that there were some telecommunication facilities is that on the actual parcel that is going to alameda county yes well alameda county already owns the property um and i i believe the the telecom telecommunication companies that that operate the towers lease the property from the uh from the county for 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 the use of of the towers yeah tower rentals could effectively sell those leases um Possibly. I'm, I'm not sure where the money goes right now for the leases, but that's that's a potential source of income. Okay, I do have a speaker card on this item. Linda Willis. You hear me okay? All right. Um, my voice is a little um, weak today. I'm trying to keep this under three minutes, but I ask for your consideration if I go over a minute or two, if that's okay. Um, so um, my name is Linda Willis and I represent District 4 on the Parks Recreation Historic Commission. Um, I'm here today to say why it's important to preserve the entire Nike site. And I have, this is my brief summary. Um, before I begin, I'd like you also to, in the context of today's meeting, 
to consider whether this property has been uh, is properly eligible for historic preservation under the ordinance. Um, not considering just the cost, but you know, have we followed all the regulations? Is this um, match what Liz has said um, qualifies as a historic district under the county's historic regulations or in ordinance? So the Cold War is old history. But at that time, the United States was under ever-present risk of nuclear attack by the Soviet Union. The U.S. response was to threaten the Soviets with retaliatory strikes, a policy called MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction, which included a vast air defense network consisting of early warning radars, fighter interceptors, and Nike missiles. The site SF-31C was one of 12 Nike missile sites surrounding the bay as part of the U.S. Army Air Defense Command. The Nike system was the world's first surface-to-air missile system. It was a key component of the air defense network for more than 20 years from the 1950s to the 1970s. Site SF-31C was the integrated fire control area which held both the Nike Ajax and Nike Hercules missiles, surface-to-air missiles. The missiles had the force of the bombs dropped on Japan at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was a last-ditch effort to defend urban, industrial, and military targets from Russian nuclear-armed bomber attacks. The Castro Valley site was a vital part of the effort to protect our country. The soldiers here were mostly 18 to 19-year-old teenagers who were isolated and tasked with really incredible responsibilities. Crew members at the integrated fire control area generated and broadcasted radar signals to detect targets, interpret signal data, and enabled controlled targeting and firing and detonation of missiles. The control area needed a crew of 10 or more. The quarters building provided a place for eating, sleeping, and relaxation as they were far away from their base in San Francisco. It is the place where the soldiers lived while working 80 to 100 hours shifts per week. They were on constant alert with 15-minute status. The site, the site could launch a missile at hostile aircraft within 15 minutes of being put on battle stations. Crewmen needed a minimum of 36 seconds to launch the first missile, then approximately 30 seconds to acquire, identify, designate, and track a target. At rare off-duty times, soldiers participated in Castro Valley life, including parades and fighting local fires. The air defense work is a human cultural history of the Nike site. SF-31C is the second best preserved of the 12 Nike sites. The three sites, the sites represent a historically significant technological advance in the history of the U.S. missile defense. The buildings at SF-31C used from 1955 to 1974 were designated as an ensemble. The buildings are intact and have been vacant for over 50 years. Now is the time to preserve them. In closing, the Cold War was a very dangerous time with horrible potential consequences. Preserving this history will remind us of what could have been and what hopefully will never happen again. The PRHC asks for your vote in support of the resolution to nominate Nike site SF-31C as a historic preservation district, including the quarters building and the radar shack as contributing resources. Thank you. Any questions?
questions for Linda? No, but I just wanted to say thank you for coming because I was sitting here the whole time wondering why you guys wanted to preserve it. And it's uh, nice to hear what the other commission is thinking. So thank, well, thank you. you. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate it. Have any speakers online for this item? We do have one speaker, uh, Kelly A. Kelly, are you on the line? I mean, some host host issues oh over here. All right, us? now the microphone is on. Thank you. Um, so this. Uh, proposal is good, but it's, uh, it exhibits a typical tunnel vision of county planners. Um, if you look around this site, you'll see, you know, people talk about, you know, vandalism and lawlessness, but you'll see an entire, like, uh, a fire station um, up on top of the hill, uh, sponsored by the park district. And you'll see, uh, you know, uh, there's a little bit of, of uh, architecture uh, people people build architecture, but architecture influences uh, people and organizations. So they're, the, the park district police live in a bunker, and they do, which might explain their bunker mentality. Um, so they're up there too. And then there's also an entire maintenance facility up there. Um, so all of these things are happening. And but the, where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing out here in the county is that the park district has undertaken in uh, Oakland, they are building a new police headquarters, which will be beautiful and uh, renovated and uh, filled with trees in the lobby and um, big and nice and, uh, and, and renovated. So uh, the police will be able to move over there and that will free up some of these buildings. So by um, only looking at the tunnel vision of only looking at one part of the facility, ignores the future plans of the park district to abandon some of those buildings and go go uh, decamp for better and more luxurious facilities. Um, also, we don't hear about what, what are the other counties doing? What is Mount Umnum doing with their, their thing? You know, there's a place near Bur Burlingame in San Francisco Airport called Sweeney Ridge that has a Nike base on top of it. And there's Mar Mount Tamalpais. Um, what have, uh, how much of, of those have been saved and how have those counties been treating their historical resources? or park districts or uh, whoever they are. Um, so yeah, th this is um, an interesting thing, but the the idea that that uh, just saving one little piece and not looking at what's happening right next door to the other buildings and not looking at the plans that are well underway of, of with uh, you know zillions of dollars being spent on a massive new police headquarters, um, you know, which is great because it's going to free up those buildings. And by the way, they've been maintaining and preserving and uh, fixing the roofs of, on those buildings. I'm sure they're in marvelous shape, those other buildings that they're about to uh, decamp from. Thank you. There's no other speakers. Okay, I'm gonna close the public portion. Um, to clarify what Kelly was just describing was a group of buildings on the other side of Lake Chabot on another hill, not the Nike base. Um, 
So, I, I mean, I've had a little bit of exposure to uh, the Historic Commission and some of their um, sites that they've looked at and that are on this list that are going to the Board of Supervisors. And I just want to say I want to thank the PRHC for their work on this, uh, especially, <laughs> you know, fighting GSA because uh, GSA always wants to tear down something that they don't want to pay to take care of. And, you know, we've had to fight in the past to try to keep that from happening like with the Castle Library and the cottage on Foothill and, and those types of structures. So I, I fully support this. Um, I agree that I, it'd be nice to have um, a field trip to something like this in the future. If, if this something like this comes um, to us again, even though this is an informational item, we won't have a motion or it's not an action item. Uh, we're just being advised and we're only being advised because it's a district as opposed to a specific building. Um, but if it does happen again, I think it'd be a good idea to go out there and take a look at it um, prior to the uh, the actual um, hearing on it. Um, but I would like to suggest that uh, maybe the PRHC, you know, reach out to the Planning Commission and, you know, see if there's potential for some lobbying of funds because this sort of minimalist approach that GSA takes on maintaining these buildings means they don't do anything. And from what I've seen from the visits I've had to these buildings, they are deteriorating, not the Nike base, but the other ones on the list. Um, GSA really doesn't do anything unless the building's falling down or the roof's falling in. And actually, not even then sometimes. Um, so I think it is important that money is budgeted and it's probably not going to happen unless there's some noise being made about it. So um, I would encourage us to possibly work together on that in the future. Uh, commissioners, any other comments? I know Thanks. it's not necessary, but can, we can move. We can indicate our support as a commission, can't we? We'll have to. But we have that option to us. I believe so. We do that through a motion. When would we could do that through a motion, but it would have to be agendized. It's not an action item. It's still something that you're discussing. Under the Brown Act. We can't move an information item to an action item? Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about this item. Okay. I thought you meant a future item. Um, no, you cannot make an action item to an informational item or vice versa. Um, but you were asking whether you could indicate your support? I'm just, the staff recommendation is that we provide comments on this. I'm just wondering, does that mean out loud here? Did that mean to the Board of Supervisors? Those comments are for currently right now. Okay. Thank you. So without a motion or a vote, um, I would just ask each individual planning commissioner if they support this. Or anyone that does not support it, let's put it that way. Okay. It looks like the commission supports this. And that would be our comment moving forward on it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Linda. Moving on to item two, accessory dwelling unit ordinance update. Looks like we have Rodrigo on this one. Things commissioners, Rodrigo Ordunio with the County Planning Department.
if I can share my screen so we can present to you the uh, accessory dwelling unit ordinance as it is currently drafted. So I am here today to talk to you about the draft accessory dwelling units ordinance that is currently uh, proposed. Uh, we uh, have amended the ordinance to uh, respond to community comments. I will go into what those have been and what the uh, ordinance um, proposal is now. Um, let's see. So just a brief background for the public. Um, accessory dwelling units, also called secondary units or granny flats or in-law units, um, are an opportunity to, in a single family neighborhood or, or really in residential neighborhoods, to add housing stock without necessarily changing the character of the neighborhood. They are intended to be uh, accessory or in addition to or um, uh, subservient to the principal or primary dwelling unit or dwelling units on a property. They could be located in single family residential zones. They could be located in multifamily residential zones. Uh, really anywhere where residential units are allowed. So they are also allowable in agricultural zoning districts, limited ag agricultural zoning districts, and, and um, mixed-use zoning districts. Um, they um, are provide property owners the ability to provide additional housing. If it's an individual property owner, such as in a single-family neighborhood, they could rent out uh, an accessory dwelling unit. Actually, as of 2024, January 1st, um, state law gives local jurisdictions the option to opt in to be able to, um, through a condominium airspace subdivision, sell off the ADU, and I'll go into that in a bit. Um, these are uh, work, accessory dwelling units work um, in conjunction with junior accessory dwelling units uh, to provide additional housing, and junior accessory dwelling units are only allowed in single-family residential neighborhoods. They have a maximum of floor area of 500 square feet, and they're supposed to be located within an existing residence. This also includes within an existing attached garage. So that's what uh, within an existing residence means. It's within the confines of the physical confines of existing uh, volume, including an attached garage. Um, and so junior accessory dwelling units, 500 square feet maximum, have to be located within an existing residence, only in single family neighborhoods, where there's an, one existing principal dwelling unit. Accessory dwelling units, going back to those, again, located in single-family neighborhoods, multifamily neighborhoods, mixed-use neighborhoods, agricultural zoning districts. Um, and they can be located within the primary uh, building, again, the, the envelope of the primary dwelling unit. They can be detached or um, such as an existing detached garage, an existing detached workshop, they can be brand new detached. You can build them from the ground up detached. Um, you can do an addition to the main house. So there's more flexibility in accessory dwelling units uh, versus a junior accessory dwelling unit. Uh, these are intended again to keep the residential areas looking residential, not change the character of the area. Um, they uh, do provide an opportunity for homeowners if, if you have um, homeowners that live on their own property and they have some extra room or uh, the ability to modify the the uh, structure of the property in some way to be able to rent out the ADUs or to provide for extended family to live semi-independently or fully independently 
um, in close proximity. Um, the state has their, um, their been modifying legis legislation since about 2017, pretty much on a yearly basis to uh, be more permissive of allowing accessory dwelling units and junior accessory dwelling units. And uh, this is reflected in government code section 65852.2 for ADUs and uh, 65852.22 for junior accessory dwelling units. Um, they uh, started off uh, uh, more restrictive, allowing smaller sizes. They've increased this, the floor area of ADUs to 1,200 square feet. Again, junior accessory dwelling units are limited to, to 500. And they um, have been increasingly more permissive such that there are certain classes of ADUs which are considered more protected by the state. So as an example, if you've got an 800 square foot accessory dwelling unit, uh, it's pretty much allowed anywhere on a property uh, with certain limitations. I can go over those. Um, and local zoning rules do not apply. So for example, if somebody's building an 800 square foot accessory dwelling unit, it can be located within the front yard uh, in front of the main residence um, if there's no other place to build on the property or, or uh, if it's more feasible to build in front of the main residence. Uh, local uh, regulations normally don't allow uh, construction of um, residential units within front setbacks, but state legislation overrides that. State legislation over also overrides setbacks from the rear and the back, um, as well as height limitations, and I'll go in, over those in a bit. So what we're doing here is where we're um, looking to, to implement state legislation. The most recent um, state legislation was AB 2221, and that redefined height restrictions, that redefined modifications to the permitting process. Again, the front setback that I just mentioned, and um, ADUs allowed in multifamily housing. So uh, the first bullet point, basically, if you're within a certain distance of, um, of public transportation, or if you're within uh, zoning districts designated multifamily, you could go up to 18, 18 feet uh, for an accessory dwelling unit, 18 foot height, or uh, and provide two stories, because uh, within 18 feet, you could provide seven foot six clearance um, uh, be, uh, for each floor, plus the height of each floor, plus the roofing could get you to 18 foot height and and uh, two-story units. Um, otherwise, they're limited to 16 feet in height. Um, there, uh, uh, there are modifications to um, permitting accessory dwelling units. There's there's the new 60-day rule. Pretty much everybody who looks at an ADU has to approve it uh, within 60 days of submittal. And in multifamily housing, I mentioned the additional heights. There are... Um, regulations that allow them to be constructed in converted space that is uh, not habitable. So if you picture a multifamily building and let's say it's on a podium garage, you could take part, a portion of that podium garage um, to allow to, uh, to allow a, a additional um, accessory dwelling units at a ratio of one ADU for every four primary units. So if you've got a 20 unit multifamily apartment building, uh, you could have five ADUs that you could build 
um, within that podium garage. You could also, in addition, have uh, in your accessory in the backyard area, as accessory buildings, you can have two additional ADUs. So in a in a 20-unit building, you could have five ADUs, because that's one for every four, plus two additional detached ADUs at seven. You can have seven ADUs. Um, so we are writing ordinance to incorporate all these state uh, legislation. We're also eliminating, we've already eliminated the conditional secondary dwelling unit uh, legislation in our ordinance. Now we're eliminating the secondary dwelling unit legislation in our ordinance. So that's what that bottom sentence is on the slide. Uh, we're looking to, as part of the um, implementation of, of our housing element responsibilities and uh, implementation of state legislation on ADUs, looking to get this adopted. And uh, we're here to today, this afternoon, uh, at this planning commission, we're seeking your recommendation to approve the ADU ordinance. Uh, we're gonna go to the Board of Supervisors on March 14th, there has to be two hearings on this. Um, so it would be in effect 30 days after the second uh, reading. Um, there are a whole uh, menu, there's a whole menu of state legislation. Uh, I mentioned AB 2221 um, as reflected in govern uh, government code section 65852.2 for ADUs and for JADUs 65852.22. Um, there's also a state-issued uh, accessory dwelling unit handbook, most recently updated uh, in July 2022, that folks could look at that explains the legislation. The legislation itself is um, written in legalese, uh, and it's attached to the packet that I uh, presented to the Planning Commission. Um, the, the handbook provides a pretty good summary uh, and interpretation of, um, of that. Uh, state legislation. Again, it's it's a state handbook. So uh, whenever we've had webinars or seminars with uh, the state HCD, they point us to the handbook um, if we have any questions or, or challenges to, to the language in the ADU legislation. They say, well, this is how we interpret it in the state handbook. And so follow what's in the state handbook. Um, the county uh, has an ADU and JDU webpage. As soon as this uh, AD ordinance is adopted, we will um, update the webpage with the updated ordinance. Right now we have a policy on ADUs that, that we are seeking to implement. The state has pretty much said, if a local jurisdiction has no local ordinance, then you're de facto following state legislation on ADUs and JADUs. Uh, however, for purposes of uh, making sure that, uh, it, again, going back to the whole objective standards issue with SB uh, 330, making sure that local jurisdictions have clear direction to um, to the public and to staff and everybody who's involved in uh, development of housing. Uh, state wants local jurisdictions to adopt uh, state legislation in our local books to make sure that it's in black and white in writing and we're not referring people to the to a policy that's, that's uh, based on state legislation, but we're in fact uh, referring people to our own local ordinance. Now the local AD ordinances of course have to comply with state legislation. We could be more permissive than the state should we choose uh, but we can't be more restrictive than the state. Uh, those would not be uh, state compliant uh, local ADU ordinances and they would be null and void. So we've gotten uh, comments from the public. Uh, first major comment from the public was that some folks wanted assurances that um, applications for ADUs and, and junior accessory dwelling units 
complied with local building codes, especially complied with local uh, regulations from the Department of Environmental Health regarding septic systems and uh, uh, in compliance with with um, water uh, provision, uh, making sure that they do have compliant water wells, that they do have compliant septic systems. So folks wanted to make sure that we write into our local ordinance uh, some form of language and applications for ADUs in zoning districts served by private septic systems or on-site wastewater treatment systems. That's what OWTS means shall require approval of a Department of Environmental Health. Now that already happens whenever anybody wants to build or make additions to uh, residential units in uh, on properties that are served by uh, private septic systems. Uh, as part of the, the building permit process, they have to get approval from the Department of Environmental Health, uh, but but uh, folks felt it necessary that, that the language be added to the ordinance to make it abundantly clear. Um, so we we added section 17.55.100 construction and phasing and uh, construction phasing and permitting we added the uh, underlying language that applications for accessory dwelling units and junior accessory dwelling units shall be subject to applicable building codes and require approval of a county building inspection department applications uh, for accessory dwelling units and junior accessory dwelling units on parcels served by private sector system private septic systems such as on-site wastewater treatment systems shall require approval of the department of environmental health again it's it's belt and suspenders type thing. We already require it. It's already part of the building permit process. Uh, but uh, in in making sure that that the folks out in the public uh, who want to build ADUs know that in advance, then then it's proposed in seventeen point fifty five point one hundred. Secondly, at the Sonoma Citizens Advisory Council, there were uh, questions about opting into uh, condominium subdivisions for ADUs and, um, and being able to. Uh, subdivide those through airspray subdivisions from the primary dwelling unit. Again, California ADU law, uh, ADU law um, the Assembly Bill 1033, which went into effect January 1st, 2024, does allow local jurisdictions to voluntarily adopt local ordinance uh, to allow separate conveyance of the primary dwelling unit and the accessory dwelling unit as condominiums. And so there's a whole slew of, of um, processes to follow as laid out in AB 1033. Um, and so staff did update the ordinance to, to, to include this condominium provision. Again, it's an opt-in. We don't have to do it. There were some, uh, some comments that um, this adoption of the AB 1033 language locally would incentivize further development of ADUs in the incorporated areas. And folks thought that this was uh, possibly a good thing. So um, this is what the draft looks like. It's small text. You may not see it, but I refer you to section 17.55.140 of the draft ordinance, uh, separate sale and conveyance of an accessory dwelling unit. Um, this is taken verbatim from state legislation, and we just changed the local jurisdictions to Alameda County. Um, but as long as they follow the condominium subdivision process, again, laid out um, in the state legislation, uh, which has been uh, transcribed here to 1755-140, then uh, we would be opting in to allowing folks to subdivide the primary dwelling unit from the ADU. And this is only applicable to, from, to primary dwelling units and, and ADUs. Again, we can be more permissive, but but that's that's we're following state legislation. So again, more of the language, it's, it's all, um, this is a very small type. I just wanted you to um, appreciate that there's a lot of language that state legislation is folks is having local jurisdictions um, 
adopt as part of the conveyance uh, language. You can read it in full at 1755-140 in the attached draft ordinance. And with that, are there any questions or comments? Hey, where do we start? Bad <laughs> <laughs> job. Thank you, Rodrigo. Appreciate that. Um, huh. Boy, a lot to unpack there. So is there any restriction regarding the expansion of existing dwelling unit um, to an ADU? In other words, I, as I recall, I was reading some of this ordinance where if you have a thousand square foot house, you can only add up to 500 square feet. But I thought there was now a new magical 800 square foot um, rule that was in place that if you're less than that. So does that ratio still apply? So, so the state legislation through the handbook. So this is one of the things we we um, were confused by, but but state legislation um, states and and it's interpreted also by state HCD staff that if you are converting space, let's let's assume you've got a two story house, and it's a three thousand square foot house, and um, one story is fifteen hundred, story two is fifteen hundred, you could convert one of those stories completely 1500 square feet to an ADU. So you would end up with uh, a 1500 square foot primary dwelling unit and a 1500 square foot ADU. And that's fully legal. So we cannot, the state has said, if they're converting existing volume, local jurisdictions, Alameda County cannot put a um, floor area cap. So this is also, and I want people to, to appreciate this, Somebody has a barn in an R1LBE zone, and that barn is 3,000 square feet in size. That barn can also be converted fully 3,000 square feet to an ADU. So just to, what I heard you say was that if you're converting existing volume, whether it's habitable or not habitable with an existing permitted structure, it can, there are no limits to the area for right, ADU. It's got to be a permitted structure. Um, you could, for example, if you're converting this hypothetical barn and you demonstrate to us, look, it's, it's, it was built in 1920s before zoning and, and, and building. So it's legal nonconforming. It's a legal, it's a legal entity. It's a little, uh, legal volume. Um, then the property owner says, I'm going to have to demolish this because it will, it's going to be cheaper for me to build from scratch um than try and and convert this barn that was built in the 1920s into a code compliant well, title 24 uh structural electrical plumbing um convert that to an adu so i'm going to tear it down but i am showing you drawings that it exists legal non-conforming in a 3,000 square foot volume that is 20 feet tall um and it's got a you know it's got a pitched roof at the maximum, it's 20 feet, and then it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they provide us documentation that it's been there, legally existing, even without permits since 1926. They have the right to rebuild it in place to that same volume and that same shape and, and fully convert it. If one last question, I'm sure there are commissioners have one. It's kind of a weird technical question, but I actually had a client who had a situation on this they have a property with multiple cottages on a, on a property. There's, there's small 800 ish square foot uh, apartments. There's actually two projects. They want to build ADUs on top second story additions. Can they do that? Assuming that, assuming that the cottages are legal and not, 
uh, you know, that the density is there or or they're legal nonconforming, then then it would be. Um, OK, the state for state purposes, multifamily housing is considered attached units. Um, and and I'll I'll just just follow me with because I'll I'll try and answer the questions I'm anticipating you're going to have. So, for state for state ADU purposes, multifamily housing is considered multiple units in one building. Uh, single family housing is considered separate physically separated housing units on a property. So even if you have one property with five cottages. Each one of those cottages is considered a single family dwelling. Each one of those cottages could get an ADU. If those same five units are in one building in a multifamily zoning district, then they're considered multifamily housing. Then, then we can then we follow those rules. Then you're limited to uh, the twenty five percent rule. So out of five dwellings, you you get one ADU plus the two detached ADUs. So. Just the issue of, I don't want to beat this to death, but on the issue of second story, does the height issue comply in the area? If you have an 800 square foot single, this project I have specifically, there's 11 identical single story apartments on one parcel. And they want to go through and they want to put squeeze in as absolute much as they can. And they asked me, can I put a second story on every single one of these units with no additional parking and not have any restrictions on height? That would be that would be doubling the density. Can they do that under the ADU rule? Okay. So you're adding, you're not converting existing volume, but you're right. adding volume. Adding. Um, so then we gotta separate that, right? So now all of a sudden you're adding volume. So then the 50% rule applies then you can have a maximum of 50% of your floor area of existing primary unit because you're adding, you're not converting, you're adding. Okay. Um, then the height limit of the primary dwelling unit applies. Then if, assuming that these primary dwelling units are all beyond the required setbacks, right? Beyond the front front feet 20. I, yeah, sure. So, so, so the setbacks and the height restrictions of the primary dwelling unit apply. If you're going two stories above six above 18 feet because you're multifamily, or if you're in proximity to public transit, different issue. Now proximity to now parking depends on how far you are, uh, how far away from park from transit you are because within proximity to public transit we don't we can't require any additional parking, um, or if you've got like a a, a ride share um, in the in the area but it's not provided we can't require parking. But if you're converting, then we can require parking. If you're converting and not near public transit, we can require parking. So it, it all depends. Okay. And, so I, I probably the wrong question to ask in this forum, but yeah. um, I'll I'll bring it to you. <laughs> so like you need to come. Yeah, I, I do too. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, oh, can I convert my horse arena? Horse arena, does it have a that roof? That was sarcasm, I'm sorry. If it, if um, it has a roof. That really, no, that was absolute sarcasm. Um, so you said something that was a little distressing to me. I think most of this is, well, most of this is doesn't matter what I think, but I think a lot of this is very good. Um, seven foot ceilings? Seven foot six minimum clearance for habitable space. Seven foot ceilings. Like seven foot six inches? Seven foot from the floor to the ceiling, seven foot six inches is minimum clearance required for a habitable space. 
Please short. This is not an ADU ordinance. This is just a building. It's in the building code. In our in our limit, we're setting for the height. Does it allow for eight foot ceilings? Yeah, yeah, it's minimum, right? So you could you could have an eight foot ceiling. If you could have a ten foot ceiling as long as you're under the height limit. Yeah. How the perspective heights for the ADUs would allow for that? Okay, I just don't want to make it have to be short people housing. No, no, no. This a, is this is like put a ceiling fan in when it's you know some people seven who, foot six inches. I mean that's like a way to cut someone's head off. And and so some people want to build. So so here's part of the issue, right? We're balancing um, um, the the neighborhood concerns that ADUs, if you're building from scratch in the backyard, detached from the main house, you could put it four feet away from the back property line, four feet away from the side property line. And you could, in theory, have either up to 16 feet or 18 feet, depending. And so you'd have what, when the neighbor used to have a nice sunny backyard to grow their tomatoes, now they're going to have an ADU. Yeah, but they're going to the have that at 16 or 18 feet. Right. And so, you know, we get, we get comments uh, against that and I'm anticipating that hands will be raised. Um, so, so we get comments against allowing that, but we can't do anything about it. Uh, people like the backyard privacy uh, and access to light and air and, and open space. Um, so we, if you're converting a, a detached garage, detached accessory buildings per today's code can be built right up to the property line as long as they're one hour fire rate construction and your roof drains to your own property. So, so if you're converting an existing garage that's already because uh, they're already allowed up to 15 feet tall. So if you're staying within the same volume, uh, right up to the property line, all of a sudden you've got an ADU. And so, you know, there's the additional noise of people listening to music and right up to the property line, even though. So, so there's, there's that concern from neighbors, right? So, so what we've been trying to um, point out to, to the neighbors, because most of the comments have been um, weary uh, from neighbors um, what we're trying to point out to to the public is that we're following the state legislation. The only time right now we're not following the state legislation to the letter is the opt-in. Oh, a couple of questions on how this just functionally works. I think it makes a lot of sense to allow concurrent development. We've seen some of those. Why build the front house and then have to go put an ADU in? Um, but this optional up to us to advance section on condominiums. I really don't know how I feel about it. It's a really big same day decision to make without a bigger conversation. So I have a bunch of questions. We have been approving more and more, and I think we're going to see a lot of them where the builders are going to put in ADUs into their town. It's like a income source to get more, you know, a value add, get more money for the property and the person who's buying it can buy. I mean, like that's going to be very common. It's since we've seen one, I think we've seen three now. And I think we're going to mostly see those. Um, so let's just say we just approved one the other day where there's a big conversation about private streets and public streets. And there's going to be a private street that's paid for by the 10 homes. So then I decided to build to subdivide the condominium and sell it at my house. So now there's nine private homes, there's a regular private home and there's a separate condo. How does the maintenance of a private street then work in that covenant? Is it split and internally? Is it now 11 owners sharing it? 
Right. So, so it would, there would have to be the uh, ag agreements made such that there's a equitable distribution of responsibility for road maintenance and landscaping maintenance, et cetera. The, the easiest thing, the way this was, was thought of at the state was you got a single family home and there's a real profit to be made um, by renting it or by selling it. And so this would incentivize those who think that there's a it pencils out better to sell the ADU they build in their backyard. Um, uh, again, airspace subdivision and 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 um, and and uh, not a ground, not a full, not a full lot subdivision. That that it would incentivize folks that um, may be on the fence financially to go ahead and and build an ADU to be able to then sell off because that provides the state with additional housing stock and it provides the homeowner with, with cash. Um, so in ordinance are there, so the financial changes, the private agreements we, by virtue of the private agreements, the HOAs, um, have minimum standards on our lots for like outdoor access, um, Hard, like habitability. Right, you can get away with a lot with an ADU. I like ADUs. Right, but can I then sell you your ADU and no parking, yard access? I mean, it, it, is are there any other regulations other than the regular condo conversion? It's just the regular condo conversion. Well, we, I've been able to read from the. State legislation, it's it's follow the condo conversion state uh, rules. And the subdivision map app, right? So so just to follow on, so this would be a project that could be conditioned as versus a by right development. So, I mean, I'm just thinking the same thing that Andy was saying. So if during the subdivision somebody wanted to do an airspace condominium for an adu and and in there say you can't walk on my lawn you can't use my pool you can't i don't know you got a four foot strip that goes out the back you that could be dealt with as part of the conditions of approval on a tentative map we would we would establish just like you you would in any condo conversion that you've got to establish uh, um, CCNRs, covenants, uh, tracks and restrict, and and or if you're big enough, you do a homeowners association. But it, it would be dealt with in private agreements as uh, as a term of the subdivision. I want to do one of those. Like, that's going to be interesting. Okay, um, I'm not going to belabor it, but I just and and it's an opt in. It just seems. How does that intersect with SB nine? And, and then does the new separate property become eligible to add a JADU? Um, so let's see, SB9. So SB9 is limited to R1 zoning districts. SB9 allows you to build uh, a totality of two primary dwelling units and two ADUs. You cannot build a JADU if you're doing SB9. Um, so it's two primary, two, two plus two, ADUs, a total of four units. If you're subdividing through SB9, then you end up with one primary um, in each or two primaries 
and no ADUs in in each, right? So you've got you've got a total of four units possible after the subdivision. Four units um, uh, from on the if you're looking at the original property that was allowed four units on the original property, you end up with four units total, even after the subdivision. You end up with two units on subdivided parcel A, two units of, on subdivided parcel B. And you can distribute those however way you want, but you can never end up with more than two on A and two on B. So you could do two primary on A or a primary and an ADU on A and then two primary on B or any combination you want to call them, but you end up with no more than, than four total in the, from the original parcel. So now, if you're doing an SB9 project and you're doing a primary and then you want to con do a condominium from the primary to the ADU, then you can. I believe that's correct. I think this is a good idea. I mean, I, I'm really not even sure. It just seems like it's a lot of serial changes to very fundamental shift in I like ADUs. I understand ADUs. I also start to get nervous when I don't really understand why an attached ADU is different than a duplex. But now they very much are. And you're going to be able to sell the ADU. Can you then sell? The... It just starts to get really complicated. And the way these all interact, I'm just not so sure. And I don't know what the downside is to this. I really don't know that it's a bad thing for more people to be able to own your homes just it's a big thing to put in the statute and we won't be able to take it back right so so the the, the primary comment uh from from the sinal cac was somebody who wants to enter the housing market to buy not to rent but to buy there's currently nothing to buy that's affordable if you're looking to enter the housing market so looking to have an ADU that you can own lets you enter the housing market. The developer subdivide pre-sale. So like the project that we had last time where we did 10, if I'm going too far for other people, just yell at me. No, but you're, so we you're did fine. 10 of those stacked units with the ADU on the bottom kind of by the garage. I thought that's a lovely situation. So now the home builder could was who was selling 10 townhouses with 10 ADUs could choose to do any combination of those sales. Townhouse one, ADU one to someone else. Townhouse two with the ADU attached to that family because they want to rent. That would be we wouldn't have been able to but there's still there's still the same number of units. It's just the ownership versus right. the tenancy is what's privately decided i think that's good i mean i think that it is a, as a younger person and as someone who like has spent a lot of time trying to look for there is nowhere to buy there's a very lack i mean nothing nothing is affordable especially if you don't have multiple incomes so the idea that these could create and ADUs are always to be rented so i mean this could that could be a very positive thing it's a real missing element i just i see it in intentional design I see it in a developer choosing to do it as a model. I see it a little bit. I just think it's a very weird thing to have your former tenant in the back now owning 
a random part of your property that was based on what a homeowner decided they felt like doing and not any sense of fairness or equity between the lots or access points. I, I don't think from a practical standpoint that's necessarily an issue because you've got to go through either um, you've got to get CCNRs done or you've got to do a joint agreement. And I think that uh, to a certain extent, the market will push these. I mean, if they're crap and you know, no one wants to buy them, you got no rights, but you're going to have to spell all the, the rights out as right. part of the subdivision process. So, you know, I think that there's a certain degree of check on that. I think, I mean, I, I think I'm intrigued by it only in the respect that what you've said, it's an entrance to the marketplace where previously you're, there's not, but I had a lot of, a lot of details that, that have to be worked out. I guess then my last question before I let others have some input here is could CCNRs or other private agreements in the maintenance districts prevent the ability of future owners to subdivide? Or would the ordinance supersede a private covenant? I don't, I haven't read that in the code. I haven't seen any discussion on it, but we would, we would do it. So, so I, I don't know the answer to your question. I know that the state has been um, limiting uh, uh, private homeowners associations from uh, rejecting ADUs, right? So, right. so whether or not they choose to also reject uh, condominium ownership, uh, I haven't seen in this ordinance, um, but that would be something that the state may choose to clarify and, and hand down if if there's a lot of pushback from homeowners association. I'm aware there's other folks on the dais who are much more familiar with how the shared agreement. Assuming that then they would do some kind of an update to them. I just I don't have an understanding of how that operates. I understand how they get put in place. I understand the right questions to ask when we're approving them the first time. I do not understand how all of those public responsibilities that are with those homeowners for the septic and the roads and the whatever it is they're sharing. I just don't understand then how you add things into that. And that's outside of my experience. I'm happy to support this for the reasons we've discussed. If others don't have more substantial concerns, if there is a problem with it, is it one of those situations where it's then a taking for us to take it away? Um, I'd have to confer with council about whether or not it's a taking if we if we approve uh, uh, the ordinance, the opt-in, and then opt out in, a, in the future. So that would be a taking of property rights? We, if we enable this and then there's a bunch of problems, do would there be the ability to regulate it further? Or would we be in a situation where because we allowed it, it becomes a taking? I am not prepared to answer that question today. I any sort of advice I would give on that would be speculation, and I would want to think about that more. If you, I believe we have this on schedule with the board in two weeks or three weeks, and um, I'm sure that they would also want to know the answer to that question before implementing this, seeing how is it sort of a new frontier. Um, but of course, you know, an ordinance could be rescinded or revoked down the line. But what would that implicate for those property owners? I am unsure. Great. Thank you.
got one. On the uh, draft ADUs, JDUs, ordinance, page 11 of 16. And if you start on, a, on, a, on the lower side, number one, it says deed and restrictions. And I'm actually going to flip it to page 12. If you go over here, and it says the property owner shall reside on the property is one of the items that was discussed or asked question about. That would be number three. Um, the restrictions shall be binding upon successor of ownership of the property. That's was actually above that on D. And it's actually goes on your deed. This this all this stuff goes in your deed. So how long are you locked in to having this? I mean, let's say if I buy a, a building that has an ADU and I want to go back, that this is actually goes on your actual deed. So and it talks about legal counsel. So if you kind of explain that to me a bit more. So this is one of the ones where we're following state legislation, where basically the intent of um, the junior accessory dueling unit, which is meant to be more, um, more, more immediate than a regular accessory dueling unit, is to have the property owner themselves live on the property. So it's not um, a a uh, a developer or somebody who's looking to add units. Through that mechanism there's there's that option with the accessory dwelling unit portion but if if somebody's going to add um a junior accessory dwelling unit meaning you in a single family residential zone and you're not using sb9 um entitlement protections then you could have a junior accessory dwelling unit enclosed within the home an accessory dwelling unit uh attached or or incorporated into the primary dwelling unit plus a detached adu so you could have also for units without SB9 protections. Um, but if you choose to, to make one of these a junior accessory, otherwise you'd limit it to three, right? The primary and the two ADUs. So if you choose this fourth unit, the junior accessory dwelling unit, then the intent is to make sure that the property owner resides on the on the, on the the property. Um, this, the state is uh, back and forth whether or not they're going to get rid of this homeowner occupancy. But right now the state legislation uh requires it and so we've in, okay, in yeah, we've we've again we could be more permissive the planning commission could decide no let's take it out my concern is in the long term like hey i want to build this i'll put a jd jdu in there and all of a sudden something changes i want to move I'm well well then the, then the buyer would have to live on the property right so 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 if this planning commission and ultimately the board of supervisors when adopting the ordinance thinks this is too restrictive we could be more permissive this would be considered if you take out sub three uh, 1755, 130, uh, three, then, then it would be more permissive than the state. And that's allowable. This is my question. Thank you. I want to thank the commissioner for that question. I just want to add to it, but then they could sell it right under the new inclusion of the condo. On a JD, you can sell ADUs, but not JDs. <laughs> Have to be detached. No, no, it could be an attached ADU. Uh, confusing staff as well. So are we ready for this? So we are already we're already doing it. Uh not that not the uh not the condominium sales, right? That's an opt-in. We're already doing everything else because we have to follow state legislation. Uh, in order to meet our housing responsibility, uh, housing element responsibilities, the, the state comments from HCD have been, where's your local ADU ordinance to make sure that these are objective standards and not just, you know, policy the, pointing at the state. 
So, so we're already doing everything on in this ordinance except for the opt-in. Okay. So, and yeah, and it's the it's the condominium part of it that is is complicated. Um, and I don't see how you get that done in sixty days if there's a time limit here to where things have to be approved, especially if you have a condo situation and you start, it's almost like we need to come up with some sort of draft CC and R's, you know, that knowing what we need to have in there. Um, I think staff's going to have to have something like that ready to go. Or you're, you're not going to have the, you know, the, the it's just going to take too much time. Uh, environmental health. I don't know how you get anything done in environmental health in 60 days. I mean, it'd take a year. So if you're going to require, if you're going to put that in the ordinance, wouldn't you be violating state law since that department isn't capable of doing anything in 60 days? So, so the, the 60 days is already, it's already state law. We're just, again, bringing it, codifying it locally. We already have to, we already have to approve ADUs within 60 days. It's already, we already have to do it. I understand that. But what I'm saying is environmental health approval in that 60 day period doesn't, it doesn't happen. I mean, it's. And so, so never happened actually. R right. So there would be, you know, the, the, there would be the option to challenge the lack of approvals in a court of law. Okay. Um, so the problem I, there's a couple of problems I see on the condo side of it is, and I, and I think Jeff kind of alluded to it. So you build one, you build one in your backyard. It's separate from the, from the house. Are you, are you putting in a pedestrian easement to get there? You know, so the person has access. What if the owner wants to put a second ADU in the pedestrian act easement, you know, five years later? Um, you know, are you going to a civil engineer to have all this drawn up, the easements and the legal descriptions and all that? And how are you doing that in 60 days? It is, it is. So we would, they would be submitting a complete application to us. And we have 60 days to respond to a complete application, right? So, so if they're asking us questions, the clock doesn't start ticking. If they're submitting a, a subdivision map that's a condo conversion without the easements shown, then it's not a complete application. Well, the 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 condo conversion, I guess that happens after, just like it does now. So, an you know, uh, final map is drawn after the fact, after the approval. Right. It would be two for it to be recorded and to split the parcels or to create the, the two separate units, the main unit and the eight. It doesn't have to be done ahead of time. It's just. Right. We would approve the tentative. So so the way it would, well, it could work many, many ways. Now that. It could be that they, they provide the physical improvements first and then they look to subdivide as airspace subdivision. And that's it. the subdivision process is two-step tentative map process condominiums and then the final map the condominium conversion guidelines how how is that going to apply here are they not going to apply here so what be a lot of contradictions in there I would be and so we would have to we would have to find those that are not in compliance with the state legislation and not and not apply those a separate list basically right. it sounds like correct uh, we do have a couple speakers are there any other questions for commissioners I'm sure. Let's see, uh, I don't have any speaker cards on this item. It looks like we have two speakers with their hands up online. First speaker up is Brenda Clark. Brenda? Yes, hi. Hi. Um, okay, wait a minute. I, um, 
I hope you can hear me. Yes. Okay, um, Brenda Clark, uh, Fairview. I wanted to um, bring up two points. Uh, Rodrigo, when the HHPOA suggested the amendment uh, related to uh, uh, on-site wastewater, uh, they uh, suggested an amendment that included the word shall require inspection and approval. That was our uh, entire goal because state law says approval by the local health officer where a private sewer disposal system is being used if required. We wanted to require that. We also wanted to specifically require that environmental health inspects the system because we have so many overrun systems and, and ADU uh, on our street specifically that could not have been inspected by environmental health before approval. So I guess before I make a big deal out of the word approval, uh, uh, inspection coming out of what the HHPOA recommended, um, I'd like to ask if does the environmental health approval process require them or include inspection of the system? That's number one. Um, also, I wanted to state that the reason that this and Sonol's citizens' recommendations need to be in this ordinance is to eliminate the need to cross-reference so many rules about ADUs all over the place and also create an ordinance that can, can become a checklist for those who want to build an ADU. Um, I, I, our whole focus all along was to have uh, environmental health inspect um, uh, properties before they're allowed to have an additional ADU when many of the properties already have one and have many um, houses on the lot and many bedrooms that are being used. So inspection is really important and, and we kind of are loathe that that word came out of what we've recommended to put in. So if you can answer my question about does environmental health inspect the system as part of the approval process, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. So, uh, Rodrigo Ordonio of County Planning. So, so the Department of Environmental Health would inspect the installed system. Um, they would ask that a company that um, is hired by the applicant that's proposing a septic system do the testing to make sure that the proposed system will properly drain and then provide the documentation to show where the system's going to go. And then once it's stalled, it's it's uh, tested. But my understanding is that as part of the building permit process, um, they would be inspecting uh, an installed system. I can double check that, but usually that's that happens at the same time it's installed and part of final occupancy, such as the rest of the building um, that is constructed, such that that the systems can be. Um, can be uh, uh, approved as the final occupancy, but I can double check that. Um, if if it's not direct inspection, then it would be a report again from that private company that says, as installed, it does drain per 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 the regulations. Thank you so much. That's very important. I appreciate it. Next speaker is Kelly. Kelly, you're on the line. You have five uh, three minutes to speak. Okay, yeah, with these ADU things, um, the uh, the county seems to be lost in the weeds. It's uh, and uh, 
Anybody remember Peter Drucker with uh, you can't manage what you can't measure? Well, um, county planners, um, there's good news and there's bad news. Let's look at the good news. On the ADUs, county planners went into this current uh, housing cycle with a certain requirement to produce a lot of housing, and they planned to produce something like 50 units um, a year. And it turns out that if you ask them for the data and look at what they've been doing in re in the real world in the last year or two, um, Rodrigo will tell you that they, they've been producing, pumping them out uh, twice as fast as originally planned. So that's your good news. And uh, let's look at the bad news. Well, if you look at the last housing cycle, this county unincorporated area, which is very proudly uh, home to what, 140,000 people or whatever, had produced something like 37% of the RENA requirement units. And that's where this uh, Peter Drucker comes in because your, account, your, your, your planning commission was part of that. You didn't approve you know, a lot of the housing units that you were supposed to approve or didn't produce one way or another. And uh, your staff and the county was not producing un in the unincorporated area, that amount of housing, anywhere near the state requirement. And now here we are. And uh, where's the measurements? Does anybody ever look, you know, every every uh, year or every six months and check how many units, uh, how are you doing against the uh, arena housing requirements? I don't think so. I haven't heard that stuff. I bet you you're sitting here lost in the weeds, worried about every little thing, and nobody ever bothers to put poke, put their head up in the air and look around, look at the horizon, look far off in the distance, and see what kind of measurable progress are you making towards the required state goals? Because you guys are so such miserable failures at doing that last time around, and once again, by keeping your eyes closed, I, I suspect that the same thing is happening again, even with the tremendous success of the county's ADU output, which is fantastically higher than forecast. Thank you. There's no more speakers. Okay. Hard to top that anyway. Um, commissioners. What do we want to do here? Obviously, this is on a tight timeline. Rodrigo, you said this has to be done as part of the housing element? Oh, that, that's the goal, yes, is to have it uh, adopted by the Board of Supervisors this first quarter. I, I have no problem with the ADU issue. It's the, the opt-in portion. Is that part of this document? I, I'm not sure if that... Yeah, 1754, what was it? One... So 1755-140 is the is the separate sale or conveyance of an accessory dwelling unit. So page 12 and 13. There's a typo in the bottom of page 13. Instead of the number eight, it should be the number seven. And so that's that's it. So it's basically 1755.140. So if you choose to eliminate that, then the numbers subsequent would change from 1755-150 to then 1755-140, et cetera. 
I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd move that we approve this as is, but I, I don't think we're ready for this whole subdivision portion yet and would suggest that it be struck for now until I like Mark's idea of some draft conditions. You can figure out how this stuff works and it can come back later. Yeah, I agree with um, the commissioner. Um, I was going to actually ask the same thing. We don't have to go into procedure, but I was going to ask if we can, I don't want to kill it. I think that's really worthwhile, but can we... Um, we just direct you to bring it back to it separately, or we se sever the item from itself. But I think the questions that were asked about how this comports with the rest of the condo conversion ordinance and what the approval process is going to be that Commissioner Crawford asked, I, I think those are substantial questions to have answered before we put it in place. And I don't see any urgency in this needing to be included when it, you know, with another good pass from our staff. I think could come back with those questions answered and then go to the board more prepared for adoption. Um, and there's not a concern from other commissioners or from staff about the suggestion from the commissioner to do that. I think that would be wise. Are, are we talking about striking 1755-140 from the yeah, ordinance revision? That's, that was in my entirety. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can we do that? Yes, you can. You can you can recommend to the Board of Soups that the ADU ordinance be adopted without 1755-140. How would that work with state compliance? So we'd be this is the opt-in portion. So we'd be in full compliance with the state because it's an opt-in uh aspect to to the legislation. I had a couple comments on uh, go ahead. Uh kind of echoing back to environmental health. Um I've done stuff in the last couple of years with environmental health and they were miserable to work with. Probably a couple commissioners here that have experienced that. And if we go within the 60 days, it's probably just going to get denied. And I think there's a lot of subjective matter that comes out of environmental health rather than objective. That could have changed in the last couple of years. But within this whole thing, adding a whole other part of it, when I think I heard you say it was already required, I don't think we need to be redundant if it's in if it's in your ordinance it's in there the aspect of having to go back through on 17 or well, the construction phasing and permitting talking about the whole going out and getting inspections and and everything else environmental health is is probably in my experience be nice i won't even finish my sentence Okay, so so I'm sorry. So we're we're talking about the the um, separate sale and conveyance. Uh, so uh, no, I'm talking. I'm going back. Okay. So you 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 were talking about you were talking about adding the language of inspection and uh, and and approval. So so correct. I mean, they already have. Say for example, I see this more happening in obviously the rural areas that have septic systems that might have had already went through. The most systems are already designed. At least any system that's been put in the last 15 years is oversized. Um, I can see where this could get down a pretty big rat hole, so to speak, with environmental health. The idea is that we can get some of these 80 units and for the arena. We wouldn't want to keep barriers. We want to the barriers. We want it to be objective. bring it back and giving a host of problems to come. 
so just so I'm clear, you your the the comment today about adding the word inspection, your is, is all of it. You I think you said earlier. It's that section you re referenced in your PowerPoint, Rodrigo. So let me get to the PowerPoint just so I I did think, Rodrigo, that when you had done the overview, that I mean I don't disagree with any of the comments, but I thought the reason why environmental health and the water district and others were being named was because we've had the 60 days of planning department and state law was articulating very clearly now that it doesn't matter if you're the planning agency that all local agencies with any role on input fire water the water board whoever it is is also subject to that 60-day rule and all permitting has and to be so done with the i thought that the intention of putting it in the county ordinance was to bolster yeah. the speed at which environmental review would be required to be done, not to slow it down. And that it's not, an, with the exception of the public comment being made, but the original staff proposal wasn't intended to be an additional set of criterion, but to specify that the criterion that environmental health currently has must comport with the same timeline as our review. Is that correct? So, so my understanding from and from the public speaker today was that um, that they wanted to make sure that this language um, was in the ordinance that applications for ADU and zoning districts served by private sector systems shall require inspection and approval of the Department of Environmental Health. Inspection and approval versus approval would be a change in what the current rules are for environmental health. So, so my understanding from environmental health is that as part of the approval process, what I was mentioning earlier, as part of the approval process, they require that uh, the project proponent hire um, a professional to um, to test the soil and to design a wastewater system, and environmental health reviews it, and then when it is installed, as part of the uh, prior to uh, as part of inspections prior to final that the building department inspects the building and environmental health inspects the system or requires a letter from that professional saying, as installed, is it draining as it? This would be a very substantive change in that it would require that approval to happen prior to the ADU itself being approved for construction versus compliance after installation. Well, yeah, but not only that, the inspection... I think what Brenda's talking about is an, an inspection's done on site. Inspection's not done by looking at plans submitted right. submitted by a consultant. So what I think Brenda Clark's talking about is an on-site inspection of the existing system and approval of environmental health for the ADU. So it sounds like they want the existing system inspected visually. That's what this verbiage suggests anyway, um, which is not the process. It's not how it works and how it's going to get done. So it makes no sense to put inspection in there at all. But I think further than that, we're questioning the having the verbiage in there of, of expecting environmental health to give approval in 60 days when we have years and years and years of experience that that simply does not happen. And I know you're talking about, oh, well, they can go sue in court, but I don't see the logic of us enacting ordinances that we know can't be adhered to by county staff. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Your recommendation then 
I don't have, I, my recommendation would be to get, make somebody accountable environmental health department and fix this problem. But uh, short of that happening, uh, which hasn't happened yet, um, you're not going to get environmental health approval in 60 days. So to go ahead. Point, they I mean, to whether or not it, this correct? is codified in our local ordinance, it is state law. So they will have to follow this regardless, but we're putting it in our ordinance. So the, the law stands as is, whether or not it's adopted. It, but we law. need this in here to mirror state law is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. My understanding, so the 60 days, they have an opportunity to respond, but they can deny it and say, you need to fix these issues still, correct? You can go to continuance uh, when you're doing the application process. That is part of the stages, correct? Right. So, so there, there's it, just like in zoning, and I can speak to to the experience in zoning, not not so much as experience from environmental health, but in the experience in zoning is there's there's an application submittal. If there's information missing, we'll declare it uh, uh, that it's incomplete, and if the application is complete, but but we disagree on on the solution, right? They provide they're, pro they're proposing a new house. And um, I'm just going to make stuff up. They're proposing a new house. All the site plans are there. The building plans are there. The elevations there are there. But we're like, hey, you, we, we told you to provide a Tudor-style house, and you're providing a modernist-style house. And the neighborhood is a Tudor-style neighborhood. You're proposing a modernist-style neighborhood. And therefore, you're going against the rules, and you're going to be denied. So change the design of your house. And so they say, no, I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to appeal your, your denial and I'm going to go to the board of soups. So, so we have to act within a certain time. And so we'll deny it and then they'll, they'll, they'll move, but we can't even act. And, and this is where it relates to other departments. We can't even act if the, the information is incomplete. And so if uh, other departments such as building or environmental health are presented with documents that they deem not enough to make a decision, a determination, then the clock stops, the 60-day clock stops until we get an, a, a, a complete application. Devin, many. Now, I had an issue when I did my property, when they did, came with the plans for my septic tank system. They came with a form from 1964, I think it was, the year. And we had it updated. We did everything required. It was 1979 or 1980, somewhere there. We did everything. And the only thing they can find me is something that said it didn't pass from 1960 to 60s. So their forms aren't even complete. I'm just kind of adding on to that, but. This this proposed additional amendment 1755XXX. So we, we wrote duplicative it. over what we already have. So this is this is what the they, they proposed the language to be, what's on the screen now. Right. And this is what we're recommending the language say. So it is 1755.100. It's okay. as currently drafted, it's 1755.100. And the language is what's underlined applications for accessory dealing units. If you have a, reg if you have a regular home and you go to add, and it's served by a septic system that was rated for a four bedroom home, and you go to add a fifth bedroom and have to get approval. Is the septic system then inspected under more rules? Because shouldn't there be, there's a model for that. Shouldn't I don't think we should be reinventing the wheel. I think we should stick to state law and whatever our standard is. But we have, it's, and this isn't a new issue. We've been adding 
we do this for, for regular homes. My, my understanding is that they uh, require uh, a professional firm to um, document what the existing system is exactly. and how it does or does not comply with their uh, current uh, code on on septic systems. There a concern that there's a trend of these private firms to not accurately or sufficiently evaluate. I get wanting to make sure it's done right and the impacts of an insufficient septic, but if it doesn't make sense to also require additional inspections if they can be done that oh, easily. That's the issue. I think it's timing. I mean, I, I agree. It's notorious dealing with, I mean, typically if you're dealing with, as I understand it, if you submit something to the planning department for any type of building permit that has a septic system on it, it gets routed automatically to the Department of Health and they have their process by which they either look in their records and have documentation that it's been permitted and confirmed or and or you have to have it inspected, verified, documented, whatever, whatever what's there. They want records and then you have to move forward with the new stuff. I don't think that's I don't think that's new. It's just I didn't know that it was supposed to be done in 60 days for ADUs. I mean, it's for purposes of today. I don't think talking about the problems with environmental health is going to be uh, it'll be just a part of a no, anyways, um, I mean, anything I think that holds your feet to the fire, theoretically, is is beneficial. And getting them to comply or helping them to comply is, I think, another issue. My, my thought. If you have a septic system that's over 10 years old, the county lost all the records. It's up to you to do, as far as I understand. You got to. The only way to comply with this is to have, and there's you can't go out there and go, oh, here's my tank here's my leach field this type is have any of those options you have to design a completely new system that's much more complicated than the gravity flow leach system that you had before mm -hmm. so like so i understand what county council is saying this has to be in here it has to be done in 60 days we don't have the option to take it out which is fine leave it in there um honestly use it to get these environmental health to move faster on these things yeah um and and honestly that's something we could we could kind of track separately outside of this um but it's got to be in there to, to be compliant with state law so we don't have we don't have a choice there i think we just need to leave it there and hopefully use it to get environmental health maybe maybe the uh health department director will actually uh do something and fix the problems or the things can be done less than a year. But uh, yeah, we're not going to fix environmental health in this document, obviously. So it sounds like there was consensus to move forward as is. Was there any uh, other than, um, was it 1755? What was the, the opt-in section we want to 1755-140. So do you want to make a motion to that effect? Well, I thought I had, but I'll restate it. I'd like to move approval of the ADU uh, ordinance with uh, the modifications that we eliminate section 17.55.140, which deals with the separate sale or conveyance of the accessory dwelling units. Okay. okay. We have a motion and a second. And uh, just for clarification, so 1755.100 is going to be the, ver the verbiage that you showed us, Rodrigo. It's not the it's not the XXX version. Correct. Okay. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page on that. Uh, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? Motion carries 6-0.
Moving on to item three, PLN 2021-81 Site Development Review Vesting Tentative Track Map 9898. Can we have the staff report on this item? I'm going to set up the, this is Rodrigo Jr. I'm going to let Pat Anakayawat uh, speak. I'm here to answer questions as well. And I will uh, set up the PowerPoint if you give me a second here. Commissioner, uh, items, uh, the last item on the the Likla calendar, uh, PLN 2021-81, Site Development Review, and a Western Tentative Maps, TR8598. Okay. The application, the items uh, today is, is for the uh, airspace subdivision of uh, one site into uh, 10 parcels. Address is uh, 21855 Hathaway Avenue in a shared area of unincorporated uh, Alameda County, approximately like 0 0.3 of a mile north of West A Street. Uh, APN is 439-73-3. Uh, explain in detail in the staff report, uh, the project is category exempt from a sequel uh, per section 21159. As you, as you can see on the slides, uh, it's the sites surrounded by uh, RSDV parcels, uh, the subject site is also located directly across the street from the uh, property that is uh, in the city of Hayward, the city limit, uh, and not an A Street uh, um, on ramps of uh, uh, Highway A80. is uh, current conditions of the parcels uh, on the right is the uh, Kingdom Hall uh, Jehovah's uh, Witnesses okay and uh, the existing two stories uh, unit on the front and if you see behind the three kind of make it out is another uh, uh, multi-residentials back there Project is consistent with the uh, design standards of a tower home development, uh, STV zone, and uh, Eden area general plans, medium city residential land use designation. Is the uh, existing uh, on site with the, the single family, and also a couple of accessory dwelling dwelling. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, accessory structures on the property. Uh, airspace subdivision of a 10 tower home style unit uh, constructs in two separate building, three story tower home style and two garage underneath, okay. Total of three floors. Uh, there was an office uh, that locate in, on, uh, on the front uh, on the unit one 
uh, for original unit sales, um, and that could become a, a, a front unit, uh, part of the front unit after the sales complete. I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you just said. There's a there's an office, uh, a sales office proposed in the front unit, and so it's going to be become part of the front unit when the development of the property is complete. Sales office. Yes. Okay. Like you see in subdivision homes where they have the sales office that's in the garage of somebody's model home. Okay. That's that's what will happen in this case. There will be a, a sales office in the front unit that will be converted to become part of the unit when the sales uh, of the 10 unit. Um, okay. So it kind of looks like a totally separate unit with a bathroom the way it's set up right now. So is that going to be rented out as an office by the owner of that unit? The, de the design seems very odd to me. Uh, no, that's a, a developers uh, will use it as uh, their sales unit. And then uh, in the future, it's probably going to uh, incorporate that in part of one uh, of the unit one. They incorporate it when it, it has an exterior entrance and not an interior entrance. So we'll go over uh, the floor plans when it's all um, part of the the uh, front unit, so we can see the layout of that of that floor plan once it's once it's set up. Ed, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. Um, recently, we received the public comments from the uh, HDF. Uh, LHDF uh, supporting the the, uh, the projects. Uh, we believe that you. We gave you copies of the letters. Uh, there just should be in front of you. It's a, a nonprofit organization, a pro housing uh, organization that provided the letter. So so it's uh, they provided it today and we forwarded it to the to the planning commission. The uh, staff recommend the planning commission to approve uh, Westing tentative uh, track maps TR eight five nine eight to allow subdivision number one size into a 10 parcels, as seen on uh, Exhibit B, okay, on file with the Alameda County Planning Department, and the enclosed uh, condition of approval should be considered um, stops, and also the architect is here in buildings uh, to answer any question. So, so if the Planning Commission wishes to ask the applicant uh, questions about the layout of the floor plan, um, staff is also looking up at the uh, and we'll share the floor plans uh, for your consideration. Um, but in the meantime, if you wish uh, further clarifications, protect they are here to speak. Okay, is there any questions of staff commissioners? Um, are any of the townhome condominiums slated to be affordable housing? Oh, this is all market rate housing. Okay, did you want to have the architect come up as part of this? Um, uh, I believe they're here to answer your, perhaps your, your question about the floor plan, um, but they are also here with any clarifications you uh, you may have, um, questions on regarding the, the proposed development or, or the design of the proposed development. I do have one speaker card um, with that. Mary Lou Morris. Come on up. Hear me? Hi, my name is Mary Lou. I am a proud resident in the unincorporated area of uh, Hayward, 
uh, specifically about a block and a half where they plan to build the townhouses. I'm here, it's my first time into the foray, uh, because I live in the smallest unincorporated area that gets the least amount of attention until something like this comes up. And what I was wondering, going to have housing and parking on the sidewalk? Are they going to put in a sidewalk? Currently, I'll pass these around. There is no sidewalk. There's no drainage. Every year it becomes a big swamp hole. And um, I think if you're going to be building townhouses and parking ways and someone, either the city or the builders should get together and extend the sidewalk. You know, I've waited 20 years. It's time. You know, I see areas like Cherryland and Ashland get beautification and I would like our area to get some attention too. Um, they did, however, there was a dangerous PG&E poll, which I did talk to the city about, and I'm glad to see that that's been repaired. But as I said, I don't have a slide I can start. Uh, the plans do indicate a new sidewalk along the front. So you're going to have to address the drainage system. If you look there, the drainage system is broken. Um, we don't get any road cleaning, so every year it fills up. And then when it rains, it just spills out onto the street. So you have people um, in wheelchairs and bikes and scooters walking along Hathaway, which has become a nightmare to drive on uh, because people, it's 25 miles an hour and they travel more like 55 and 65 trying to compete with walking alongside them. So I don't know if they'll have to do Caltrans or what to make sure that the drainage happens, the sidewalk happens. Um, and if the parking does happen on the street, is there going to be enough room for people to walk or is it because right now people double park and there's no room. So so as part of the um, requirements for um, in order to allow development of the property, just their frontage, they're going to need to provide curb gutter and sidewalk, but just on their frontage. Just on their frontage. So there, if you can see in that picture, there's a the street goes and then it dips down to the bad drainage. Is it going to come right where it dips? Because if it does that, then people, there's nowhere to walk there that people would basically have to be walking through the drainage ditch. Or yeah, this, is it going to cover that also? Or is it just going to be enough so that people so can the, park? The property to the north has a sidewalk in front of it. Now. That's the Jehovah Witness. So it will align with that according to the plans here. Okay. And whatever sort of ridiculous little hole is there now will come out. And I would assume public works would require the street to be a single plane all the way to the new sidewalk. So you wouldn't have that ponding okay. of water anymore. But I'm concerned about because yeah. it's been 20 years and they still we've written letters and stuff and it still that hasn't little, happened. That little section will get fixed on. And I just way, if you look through the pictures of the whole way, it goes all the way up to West <laughs> yeah. A. So it's, you know, yes. this is a start. This and the bike route, <laughs> as you can see there, there's a picture of a bike route, but there's no street for the bike to park on. Is that all going to get? fixed up so that it's right next to the sidewalk or yeah so let me see if i can you could look sure. at the picture i was going to no, do slides fine. but it's i didn't it's okay This kind of results in a street widening, really. Well, he was mentioning that it results in a street widening. So uh, let's see. So here. So they're, yeah, so they're proposing 
to align the, the sidewalk and the curb with the Northern Street and provide a curb and gutter uh, and then a curb cut and then on-street parking south of that curb cut um, right at the property line. And they're, that's, they, would, they would be responsible for those improvements in front of their property and they would uh, tie into existing conditions uh, to the south and north. And, and the north already has the improvements, but the south may need those improvements uh, provided by either a future developer or the county uh, public works, uh, the county uh, to make those improvements at some point. I think the puddling that's occurring now won't occur any longer on that just that frontage of that project. Uh, okay, do we have any online hands raised? It doesn't look like it. We do not have any people online. Uh, if you're online and you wish to speak and you're on a computer, at the bottom of your screen is the um, raise hand icon. If you can press that, uh, we will recognize you uh, when you want to speak. Nobody's raising their hand. Okay. Uh, okay, so did anybody have any questions for the architect? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't see any problem with it. It looks pretty clean. Um, I got, I do have a problem with this office because I, I see a, I see a mixed use office rental in the future, um, and I've never heard of needing a sales office for a ten unit condo project. It's weird. So I would, I would recommend approving the project. In fact, I'll just make the motion to approve the project to include the. Um, staff conditions I'll this and approve the tract map um, and SDR uh, with the only change being that the um, floor plan be changed on the um, on the front unit there so that the office is uh, originally built that the office area is integrated into that unit so there is not a separate office with an exterior entrance and its own bathroom. It can be a bedroom. I'll leave it up to, you know, we can leave it up to staff to figure that out. Um, but having this sort of separate commercial space with its own entrance fronting on Hathaway doesn't make sense to me on a residential project. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Host. Dane. Motion carries 6-0. Uh, staff comments and correspondence? None. At this time? Chair's report. Um, the only thing I'll mention is uh, we did have a, um, a, essentially a walk on the boulevard today with Supervisor Miley and um, the planning director, um, economic development director, a uh, couple members of the MAC. Um, and the subject was code enforcement and issues with code enforcement um, and how that affects uh, the quality of life uh, for the unincorporated residents. Uh, I think it was, it was uh, productive. I think it was great to get staff and it was good to have them out there to look at that. And um, so we're going to follow up with, and, and I was not representing the entire planning commission while I was there. I'd just like to state that. Um, 
but we are going to follow up with county staff on uh, next steps and some recommended changes. I don't know if that's something that will come to the Planning Commission at some point. I actually think it'd be a good idea if it did um, after, say, the MACs are done with it, if there's any changes that need to go through a roadshow like that. Um, but I just wanted to report out to the commission on that. If there is there any um, commission announcements, comments, or reports? Um, I just have a question. On the agenda, it says that our next meeting is Monday, March 4th, but on the minutes, it says March 18th because the. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is an error. So Monday, March 4th, uh, because of the election, this room is not available. So the next meeting would be the 18th. <clears throat> okay. Anything else? We are adjourned. H. You. Uh, I feel you. Some have it worse than others, though. <laughs> yeah, he's got it.